Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Religion Means Alive Presents, the Radiant Brilliant Show with your host, Kimberly Kalima, the show where culture meets conversation. This evening, we'll be speaking with a special young lady by the name of Malika Shabazz, and our topic this evening will be the impact and the power of imagery or visuals. I'll start off briefly with a quote that I got from Getty.com, a place that harnesses a lot of stock photos and promotes a lot of imagery. And what they stated is really the heart of our conversation this evening. So briefly, I'll go into a few paragraphs that they had on their page that I think will help open up our conversation this evening. They stated that brands that use visual content have found that it encourages greater engagement with their customers. This is very understandable as visual storytelling is something that goes back to caveman days. Visuals help us tell our stories quickly with impact and emotion. There's had to be the right visual. And when the visual is a powerful one, be it an image or a video, the effect is magnified. And they add a simple equation, powerful visuals that evoke emotions equal a deeper engagement of your audience. Powerful visuals evoke emotions driving a deeper engagement and a more profound change in behavior. So what makes an image or video powerful so it causes an emotional reaction and encourages this deeper level of engagement, what is this item? And they go in to talk about powerful images, powerful imagery, and the ways that people use them. So this evening, the young lady I'll introduce, Malika Shabazz, uh, she is a Detroit-born, Brooklyn-based media professional. She is the director, producer, and editor of the short docs, The Vortex and Transplant. She is a company and tour manager working with companies such as Soul Science Lab and productions such as Soundtrack 63. She's the head writer of the weekly blog, Detroit Girl in a New York World, and is also the curator of the Bilalian Experience, an online collection of positive images of black Muslims in America. She is currently in pre-production for her first short narrative film. And I'd like everyone to help me welcome Sister Malika Shabazz to the Radiant Brilliant Show. Assalamu alaikum for our non-Muslim listeners. The greetings of peace. How are you this evening, sis? Walaikum assalam. I am fine. And yourself? I cannot complain, alhamdulillah. I want to thank you so much for being generous with your time and speaking with us this evening regarding some of the exploits and projects that you have and how you feel about imagery and, and the power of visuals. My first question oh, absolutely. is very, Yes, ma'am. My first question is, how did you get into film or how did you get into media? Um, well, growing up, I've always had an interest in media, and that's coming from my parents being very hands-on with what I was exposed to. You know, what I watched, what I read, they were very hands-on. And when certain things came on television, we would talk about it and we would critique it. And that coupled with my education, I went to an African-centered school where we also um, we also watch different films and we evaluate those films. That's, uh, that gave the groundwork to my, my foundation in critiquing film. It wasn't until later, probably toward um, by the time I moved to New York, that I decided that, you know, I've been talking about images of black women forever, but it got to the point where it was like, all right, Malika, what are you going to do about it? You know, everybody can talk about it, but what are you going to do to try to change it? And so I went to graduate school, and I got my master's in media studies, and I had access to all these tools to make images. And so from there, 
not only did I start making them, but I also started producing and helping other people create more diverse images of themselves and their communities as well. And I've just gone on from there, and I just continue to, to keep not only producing my own images, but helping other people as well produce theirs. Hmm. Okay, so it kind of started where you saw a lack and you decided to fill a need of things that you didn't see yourself. Absolutely, especially being a black Muslim woman and, you know, being in my 30s and looking at, you know, I, was, I tell some of my friends, our generation, the Internet was started by the time we were already high schoolers. But this generation under us, social media, they don't know life without it. So it was one thing where we just had primarily TV and radio and movies and billboards coming at us. But now with onset of social media, you have cell phones and laptops and iPads and tablets and all these other mechanisms that are used for propaganda. You have these images coming at our young people from every which way. And so instead of just sitting and critiquing it, I'm in a position to create those images and, inshallah, in the future, teach our young people how to create their own image because it's really important that you control your images because those media is propaganda. And no matter what movement that you've, that you've seen in the history of America, there's always been some sort of propaganda, whether it's television, whether it's radio, whether it's newspaper. There's always been a sort of propaganda to push the message forward and to push the images forward. And that same propaganda is what causes many African Americans to have the issues we have now with the stereotypes that we have because of the images that have constantly pumped out, not only to us, but to the rest of the world about who we are and what we look like. I'm beginning to think you read my notes because uh, it's about five things that you hit on that I had down here of my ten things I wanted to bring up. So great minds think alike. That's what it is. That's what it is. I'll take that. I'll take that. So for anyone who's who's a young person in high school that may have tuned in, or either a person that's like you, they've come to a conclusion that all right, I'd like to make a difference using imagery, using visuals. What should they take in school or what should they learn and study to foster the type of career that will put them in a place to promote positive imagery or create images? You know what's interesting is that even though I went to an actual educational institution to get into the filmmaking, with mm-hmm. the onset of YouTube and access to the library, you don't even have to necessarily go to school. There are many award-winning directors and filmmakers who didn't go to a traditional school. However, that does not mean you can't, you don't have to study and practice. So one of the things to do is, for one, if you're just the basis of film, is studying film, if you want to be, um, let's say you want to be a, 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 a director of photography, which is the person that actually works the camera, do you want to study, you know, you want to study photography and um, videography. You want to learn about cameras, you want to learn about lighting, you want to learn about all the mechanics. If you're a director, then you want to know these things as well, but you also want to know how to convey your images from your brain into your mouth and to guide your actors to get to the point in their role that they want. It's, you really have to study and practice, study and practice. Um, nowadays, companies are making, they're making filmmaking so easy. You can, there, are, there's a, there was a film called Tangerine that was shot on an iPhone. So you can shoot movies on iPhones and iPads and GoPros, and they're making a lot of the cameras more user-friendly. However, you still need to have that foundation in terms of knowing what you're doing. And there's a plethora of YouTube videos. There's many books. And there's so many filmmakers out there that I encourage young people to 
if you have access to them to shadow and to get on the set. But definitely just studying and practice. Those are the top two things. You can go to school for, you know, every day and twice on Sundays. But if you're not studying and you're not practicing, you're not applying those concepts, then you're not going to grasp it. And if you watch different films and on YouTube and Vimeo, you see a lot of people who have great, you can tell they have great equipment, but they don't know what they're doing. So something is a clear shot, but it's just that the setup is horrible. The frames are off and it's just all cuts of wrong because they didn't lay that foundation needed of just simply studying and really getting into it. Watch mm-hmm. another movie too, like that's one of the, to watch movies, not only to, you, it depends on what you want to do. If you're watching it from a screenwriter point of view, then you're listening to dialogue and you're watching placement. If you're, if you're watching it from a director's point of view, then you're really looking at any, everything. If you're watching it from an editor's point of view, then you're looking at the cuts and how they pan and the different J cuts and L cuts. So it's really not only just watching movies to watch them, but also watching them to learn. And as you get older, you kind of learn how to do both. You can learn how to enjoy a movie, but also take note of some of the technical aspects. And then sometimes you just have to go back to just watch it just to learn from it. So, yeah, it's definitely watching movies, watching a lot of the um, a lot of classic movies and watching movies from other countries. That's something I like to do. A lot of times we get caught up in the American way of filmmaking, and we mm-hmm. don't realize that in other countries, like in in India, they their their way of, of telling stories is different. In Asia, the ways of telling stories is different. In Nigeria, their ways of telling stories are different. So it helps to really just immerse yourself and get on the internet and search for once you find one or two movies, the floodgates open and you just have all this wealth of knowledge and all these these amazing films and content for you to really just study and learn from. Okay. So what I'm hearing you say because I did hear you mention the apps that are out. So just because something mm-hmm. has 10,000 downloads doesn't mean that it'll be accepted on a professional scale. This is true. This is true. Like, it, and it, 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 it kind of goes both ways with that because now you have a lot of television, especially cable stations, that are recognizing the importance of creative content or content creation. So you have people like Issa Rae who started um, her YouTube. She had a series called The Misadventures of an Awkward Black Girl which was mm-hmm. hilarious, and then she did a Kickstarter. It got funded, but then Pharrell was scoping. He was just going for YouTube, and he found out about it, so he started to help be her executive producer. Then she got picked up mm-hmm. by HBO, so now she has a show. The trailer just dropped uh, a couple of days ago for a series she's doing on HBO. And then there's just there's a lot of content out there and a lot of stations now. You no longer have to go pitch anymore. You can create it yourself. However, on the flip side, you have a lot of people that go out and they buy this technology and, and they buy all these things. And your movie may have, you know, 5,000 views, but if it's not good, it's not good. Because the thing with YouTube is not only views, but you also have to look at the um, thumbs up to thumbs down ratio. And if that ratio is not, like, if you have 1,000 thumb up, thumbs up, but 800 thumbs down, that's not good. That's not a good ratio. So a lot of people, there's just this, now there's this urge to create content, which I like and it's great, but I, I think sometimes people don't really sit back to really think about, okay, how do I do this? So content is very important. You can have all the greatest equipment in the world. You can have the greatest cameras, the greatest microphones, the best editor, but if you still don't know what you're doing, if you haven't, if you don't lay those basic foundations, it'll show in your film. There have been plenty of crappy movies shot with great cameras. 
And it's not because of the camera. The camera is just a tool. You have to tell the camera what to do. Even though it has auto settings, which is fine. But still, you have to, you tell the camera what to do. It doesn't shoot on itself. But they're making it easier now, especially with, and that's a whole nother. That gets into the technical aspect with editing, and I don't want to take it that far, but okay. they're definitely making it more user-friendly. But I still suggest just if you really want to get into filmmaking or content creation, any part of it, writing, scripts, editing, to definitely study and learn. Just learn the basic concepts. You can do that for free, Google.com. <laughs> okay, so what we have available for us as far as apps and things on the Internet could be used as a springboard, but it shouldn't be where you stop. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, okay, and I hope people are taking notes and keeping that in mind because when I go looking for simple apps to do flyers and things of that nature, you do see the ones that say 10,000 downloads, 1 million downloads, so you feel like, Mm -hmm. okay, this is the be-all and end-all, this is going to do it. But as you want to learn how to do something else, like you said, I'm hooked on YouTube. I have learned so much from hosting this program to doing so many other things technically through YouTube, and there are a lot of sites that offer free technical classes. And then there are some that I pay for. So, you know, I guess in the end, you know, the value of what you get depends on how you plan on using it. And it sounds like another sister echoes. Basically have your idea, your your foundation in place so you can take the right steps. Another question I have is um, for all the aspiring filmmakers out here and the movies that are out, popping and everything, who or what inspires your work or the things that you do? Are there particular people who have been out, or is it just certain communities or feelings? What inspires you to capture what you do? Um, there are a few things. I love independent film. I like the independent film circuit. I like seeing people who don't necessarily have – nothing against people that do have the budget – but people who necessarily don't have those big budgets have, who have to get more creative with their resources, because I know what that's like, because I'm not balling over here either. So I do like independent films. I also like, I love African, what's considered African-American films, which is when you have um, a primarily African-American cast. However, um, I like films that have good storylines and diverse story arcs. So um, not just any old, Hood movie that popped up on the DVD on the corner. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about actual stories that have have diverse stories and diverse conflicts that that truly um, it, 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 it talks about what we experience as African Americans because as African Americans we're not a monolith, and even to break it down as Muslim as Black Muslim Americans. We are not anonymous. We're so different. So just taking from all that, and that's that's what I'm going to be working for more in the future, is the image of black Muslims in America, especially black Muslim women, because we are not visible. And that's because of the narrative that is being pushed of what Islam is right now. So that's sort of, I started that off with my blog, and I have a podcast coming, and that's going to be in some of my films as well. But just seeing how my, I have friends that are filmmakers and seeing them create the images that they want to create and tell the stories that they want to tell or seeing how it resonates with so many of us in our community, inside the Muslim community and outside. Just seeing them get their things done, it encourages me, like, all right, Malika, let's let's go get it together, Malika, let's do this. But having that support system, it helps. And, and definitely not only that, but just, the, and this might sound weird, but the lack of images of black Muslim women encourages me to create more because there's no one else who's going to do it but us. 
and just sitting around waiting for it to happen is dangerous because then you're putting the control of your image in someone else's hand. And so, yeah, the, the lack of seeing myself on the screen encourages me to create those images so that, therefore, inshallah, when I have children, they'll be able to go to a movie or a TV show and see someone that resembles them and is in a community and does things that they can identify with and it won't have to be this, you know, this blind hunt trying to find a show that I can identify with but still feel some type of way because there's some things that I can't identify with. Okay. Well, I want to ask you to probe a little bit deeper because I hear you say there's a lack of African-American images. Now, being the advocate here, there are a lot of images out there. There's uh, Young Jeezy, there's Nicki Minaj, you know, there's a whole bunch of images out there. What particular type of images are you really trying to push? Well, for me, I think there's a lack of images of black Muslim women. Um, there are there are there are images there are a lot of images of black people out there. I will say that there aren't. However, we still have to be critical of what these images are and who has access to these images. So I may know about the Ava DuVernay's and the Tina Marbury's and the Mayor Braca Kills and all these other people because that's the circles that I'm in. So do these young girls know about that? That becomes the question. You know, like there's a when it comes to really celebrating ourselves, yes, they know Nicki Minaj, but do they know Nicki Minaj before the Barbie or do they know her after the Barbie when her image was changed? You see what I'm saying? Like, they know Young Jeezy, but do, what parts of Young Jeezy do they know? And then why is that it? They're, I'm not against necessarily having those images because, like I said, we as black people, we are not a monolith. But there needs to be a balance. Like, when I was younger, Little Kim was popping, but so was Lauren Hill. Mm-hmm. Adina Howard was popping, but so was Erica Badu and Jill Scott. And so there was this balance of images. So there, it didn't feel like we were only being inundated with just one person. But uh, for me, I think black Muslim women born here in America, descendants of slaves, I don't mm-hmm. think we're, we're very rarely represented because that's just not the image of, of Islam that is portrayed in the media. And when you see the images and you have these other communities who are creating their own Films, which is fine, they should, but we should do it ourselves. And then for those of us who cannot create, we should be able to support. So it's not just me. You also have Mia Malika Dixon, who's a filmmaker. You have Rashad Mubarak, who's a producer. You have um, the other sister, her name just, just slips my mind, but she had to Kickstarter for her film called Jen, which she was just at, I think, Sundance, this past Sundance, she was out there just still working with getting funny for herself. So we're out there. It's just now it's about promoting ourselves and having our community promote us and just being really headstrong and saying, look, we're here. We're going to promote ourselves. These are our images. These are our stories. Well, thank you so very much for that breakdown. And I believe the operative word that I have written on my little paper at different points is the word balance. Because I agree. Yeah. There's each image, each picture is telling someone's story. But when we have an overwhelming image or an overwhelming amount that's only telling one story just to make money, there's no authenticity, there's no spiritual value, there's nothing cleansing, there's nothing uplifting, then I agree it's time to, it's time to interrupt that flow. Right. And subconsciously that affects us as well. Like the quote, and the quote you were reading, you talked about the conscious and subconscious. Mm-hmm. And I think we really truly don't understand, like, your conscious mind is something that is it's it's molded and it's created as you grow. You know, it's something that is fed from your parents, 
to your school, to your neighbors and all that. It's something that can that you can you can control and you can mold and you can evolve. But your subconscious starts as soon as you're blessed to enter this earth. And it records from the day you're born to the day that's the day you die. And we don't understand that especially with this phenomenon of reality TV shows, and there's so many black women who watch these shows and they say, you know, it's just my guilty conscience. It's my guilty pleasure. There you go. It's my guilty pleasure. Yeah. Which I'm like, you know, that's fine, but you have to understand subconsciously that's going into your brain. Mm -hmm. And when you continue to put that, constantly having that image going into your brain, it will affect you whether you believe it or not. Like I remember being in high school, we took a psychology class, and my teacher said, I'm going to say your name, and as soon as I say the name, I want you to immediately tell me the first thing you see. Don't think about it. Don't try to just say it. We were like, okay, cool. So she said, Jesus Christ, what's the first thing you see? And we all were just like, blonde hair, blue eyes. Now, we know that's not what Jesus looks like. The Bible said, skin of blonde hair, wool, and that's not what we see. However, why is that the first thing that's in our subconscious? Because that's the image that is constantly pushed to us. Whether we, and I don't have, we didn't have pictures of Jesus or anything in my house, but yet that's still what I see because that's the image that is constantly pushing us in our subconscious. And your subconscious is not necessarily as easy to change as your conscious, especially if you're not aware that these things are going into your subconscious. And so a lot of times I don't think we truly understand why it's nothing against having the hood movies and the struggle movies, but that can't be all. Because that's just like with, when you go to school in history, they don't teach us anything past slavery. So now you have these children thinking subconsciously, oh, well, that's, I'm, I'm put here to work and to serve someone else. They don't, know, and they don't even know the history of resistance in this country. And we don't see those stories, which is really important. That's why birth information coming out is so important. Because subconsciously, these images are constantly pushing our head. And they, are, they affect our psyche and they affect our everyday our everyday movement and things that we do. So it's just, it's just really important to understand that media, it can be entertainment, but media is propaganda. And anytime there is a major movement or a major change coming, they push it through the media first because they want people, when it comes to, um, I'll give you another example. This is a little bit of But Hitler, um, before, and I'm, I'm, I should have this in front of me, but I know before he actually began to, Target and surround the Jewish, he had a propaganda campaign for like a year pushing this idea of Jews being inferior to the German people so that therefore when he, so when he began the, when he, when he began torturing and doing all the cool stuff he was doing, the Germans were already used to it. And it's the same thing with us. What images do we see of black men? Scary, don't have any jobs, not taking care of their kids. So automatically, subconsciously, when you see a black man, you get scared. Never mind that this black man probably has two degrees, a six-figure job, takes care of his children, and which is coming from the gym. So he has on sweatpants and a T-shirt. So because of the fact that subconsciously you've been told that he is he's a scary threat, then that's what we think. I have to agree with you because as a child growing up, I loved watching the news. I love broadcast journalism. And when I used to watch the news, our local news here in North Carolina, the most of the images of anybody that was a criminal were African-American men. And if we mm -hmm. saw images of Caucasians or white people, it was large, huge, mafia, extreme, grandioso crime. And so it led me right. to believe that all the car break-ins, all the house break-ins, all the murders, all everything 
were only committed by African-Americans because that is all that we saw on television. If they weren't African-American, then it must have been something like a jewel heist or a Wells Fargo yeah. or something humongous. So it led you to leave, believe on a local level, on your street level. You couldn't trust the people that look like you. Even you were supposed yep. to be afraid of your own people. And that, that said it to me. My parents had to have really good conversation with me. And um, one periodical that my mother used to subscribe to my entire life was Essence Magazine. And that mm-hmm. was one magazine I love to this day because they had smart African-American women, beautiful African-American women, entrepreneurial African-American women. They had celebrities. They had regular people. But they were all these women who believed in themselves and they believed in a goal, they believed in a dream, and they talk about their accomplishments. And so that's one mm-hmm. I can look for in a new stand or I get her a gift subscription every so often because it does matter. There was recently an article, speaking of images, where there was a little girl who had some type of um, physical disability, and they made a doll for her that had the same physical disability. And all these mm. articles were all over Facebook and social media about how much it matters to our, for instance, you know, probation children to have things that look like them. And it was it was this new idea to have children <laughs> with toys that look like them. And you have to, I, if I see it, I will have to put it on my personal page. But I was astounded because this was the same cry my mother made. This is why she wouldn't buy me certain dolls. She would buy me animal dolls because all at yeah. that point, all the dolls only looked one way. None of them looked like me. Slowly, slowly they started making dolls that looked like our daughters. But that's a cry that a significant portion of the American population has had for a very long time. But it was never substantiated because the majority of the dolls and the majority of the toys reflected what the majority of the children looked like. Absolutely. So I'm 100% agreement, and that's probably why the, the topic of visual imagery came to my mind when I wanted to speak with you. You deal with it every day. You purposely deal with it every day. It's not an accident that you focus in tightly on things. And as an African-American woman and as a mother, I have to pay attention to what's out here for my own self and for what gets ingrained into my children's mind. Now, another side of visuals, so that I don't make it seem like it's all negative. Visuals are also used for learning, whether they're mm-hmm. teaching children their alphabets, how to tie shoes, um, how to make their bed to fighter pilots. There are all kind of illustrations and things that people use because the imagery sticks. Now, have you had much experience with uh, using visuals or pictures and things of that nature in an educational fashion? Um, in terms of for myself learning, yes. Like, I'm a visual and kinesthetic learner, so I have to learn by seeing it and doing it. Like, you can tell me so I'm doing the face, but if I don't see it and then do it, I'm just not going to, it's just not going to register in my mind. And that may be a reason why I gravitated towards media. But, yeah, even while when I was in high school, we definitely, we watched films in school. We went, and this is high school. We watched films. We went on field trips. We dissected cats. So we did things more than just having someone constantly talk to you. So we were constantly seeing things. We were touching things. Um, we were analyzing things. And even when I was in grad school, um, one of the classes that I took, the first class, it was an intro class that different teachers taught, but I was blessed to have a teacher that was very hands-on 
and our projects were very much, okay, we'll create this and do that. So by the, it, it, the, it was compared to other class where they just went over like Photoshop for the whole semester. This mm-hmm. class was, this is a computer or not computer. This is the camera. This is how you set up the lighting. This is how you do sound. This is, it was very, very hands-on and it really helped me in terms of giving me that boost in terms of, you know, equipment, because if it hadn't been for that, I probably, I, I just, that's just the way I learned. I need to see it and I need to do it in order to grasp it. And not only that, but when you see it and you do it, you remember it. Mm-hmm. Like children are, vi- children are visual learners. Like even babies, they yeah. learn by seeing things and by touching things. It isn't until they get older and they get thrust into school and then they expect them to sit there and listen to someone talk to them for eight hours all day. And then when it doesn't work, then all of a sudden they have filling your favorite condition of the year, you know? So, but yeah, for me, definitely in, in the future, inshallah, I'm also planning on um, teaching young black girls specifically how to create their own media, um, mm-hmm. whether it's with cameras or whether it's with your own phone. Because like I said, all you need, especially now, you can make anything on the phone. Like this iPhone has, it has different video apps. You can edit the movie. You can add music. You can make, even though I'm old school and I prefer to have a, a big uh, computer to have more mm-hmm. space, I can do things. But with the with the onset of, of like Vine and Instagram videos, people are making shorts on their phones. Yeah. So I want to make I want to make sure I want to teach young girls how to not only use that technology to create their own, but to also know the fundamentals so that you can expand that out to doing a short, and then expand that out to doing the full-length feature, and then maybe moving that over, excuse me, moving that over to doing a TV show. Just, if anything, just giving them, empowering them to know that you, too, can create and, and curate and control your own images. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Religion Means Alive, the Radiant Brilliant Show with your host, Kimberly Kalima, the show where culture meets conversation. This evening, we have the pleasure of speaking with Malika Shabazz, director and producer. And our topic is the power of imagery. Our call-in number is 805-727-7013. 805-727-7013. And if you're listening on the phone, you can also log in to Blog Talk Radio under Religious Means Live. And there's a chat option when we do have live shows. The next topic I wanted to bring up also, Malika, and again, I thank you so much for joining us this evening, is the power mm-hmm. of visuals in advertisement. I see a lot of ads, um, let's see, different foods, different cars, mm-hmm. where they express a certain type of feeling, where they express a certain need to be in a specific class. When I was in third grade, they spoke to us about advertising, but it was mostly print advertisement. They gave us all the different sections of it, like bandwagon and and status and all that. But as you stated, this is a technological area now, and things are very multi-sensory. You're not just reading. You're hearing sounds. You're seeing words. You're hearing songs. How? What is the power of visuals as far as advertisement, and how can that be used in a better way? Advertising is a beast in itself. Um, when it comes to marketing, a lot of times people will see a commercial or they'll see a print ad and they think someone just took a picture and they just threw pictures on it or threw words on it. Whereas in everything you see is strategically placed. Every actor you see in a commercial is strategically placed. There's a reason that they have on those colors. 
There's a reason why they're driving that car. There's reasons for everything. There's a reason why when you hit watching TV, the commercials are louder than everything else. There's there's a reason why they're only a certain length. There's a reason why they say something, they say certain things at the beginning instead of the end because they know people's attention span. There's a reason for everything. And a lot of times what, what companies, especially now with you, since you have so many people who are starting to embrace their blackness, you have a lot of women who are wearing their hair in its natural state. You have a lot of, you know, like this year, there were plenty of young people going to prom with um, dresses made out of African fabric. So you have this um, reawakening, for lack of a better word, of mm -hmm. blackness in society. So what companies are doing, they want, of course, they want to monetize and capitalize on that. So they post images and commercials with, with people in it. So like on YouTube, I was on YouTube, and I kept seeing the same McDonald's commercial of these three black people singing a jingle for um, a, let, me get a, get, let me get a mix pick too. I don't even eat McDonald's like that, but yeah, now I know the jingle. And it's three, mm -hmm. three or four black people singing it on their camera phones. So that's a whole other thing. I don't know if it was a contest or what, but it was, you know, are you taking a selfie, you're doing a video, and they're, let me get a nitpick too, or whatever it is. But <laughs> they use that because it, it relates to the audience that you want, especially when it comes to beauty and fashion. You want to relate to the people who you want to buy, who, who you want to buy. So there's a capitalistic side to it, which it gets complex because it's, you're just mm -hmm. trying to get people to spend their money. But at the same time, you have people who like these brands and invest in these brands. And if you want me to support your brand, I want to be, I want to be represented in, exactly. in your brand. When you have people out here on the walkways, on the billboards, there's no reason, you know, if, if you have a billboard and I live in Brooklyn, so if you have a billboard or something in the middle of Bushwick, it should look like the people who live in Bushwick. And so when it comes to commercials, but then at the same time, there's propaganda. So, like, there was a commercial that, that was, was my next around. topic, propaganda. Yeah, propaganda is, I think people, a lot of times when people hear propaganda, they just think political. They just think someone is running for a campaign and they're trying to get you to vote with them. Not understanding that propaganda is conditioning you to think a certain way so you will accept a certain action that's coming after it. So propaganda is, you know, maybe a lot of times there's this, even though there's all this diversity happening on television, in these commercials, you don't always still see a black family with a husband and a wife and children. You see biracials, you see same-sex marriages, but you don't just see, you know, a black lady and a black dude and a black kid going to McDonald's as often. You don't see it as often, even though there's all this discussion on diversity but why is that why is it when you see different tv shows for example everybody's favorite scandal and how to get away with murder why is it that and don't this is not a shot at Shonda Rhimes please nobody come <laughs> try to this is not a shot at, I suspect Shonda Rhimes and actually I, I couldn't get to how to get away with murder because my schedule was crazy but I'm mm -hmm. I'm only a few pieces behind on scandal. Sorry, I just my life is that's the way it is. But no, with these two lead beautiful black female characters, why are the main men in their lives white? Their husbands or in scandal's case, oh no, both of the men, the president and what's his face, were white. What is that saying? You know, so where and that's why it's important to have these images. And I'm not, I'm not, this is not, also not a shot of interracial relationships, don't get me wrong. But when mm -hmm. you're talking about 
the, the, the black family structure and you're talking about children who are growing up in single-parent single households, they don't even see two-parent households that look like them on television. So subconsciously what they're saying is that it didn't happen for me. I'm not seeing it happen for anybody else. It must not ever going to happen. You know, so then when they see somebody with it happening, if they see it, it's kind of like, well, what's wrong with you? Oh, you think you bougie because you blah, 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 when it's just, no, I'm just living my life. So when it comes to propaganda, especially with commercials, we have to really be um, critical of what we're seeing and know how to have critical discussions about it, about what these commercials are saying, what the movies are saying, what the TVs are saying, what the music is saying. Because people hear about, you know, hip-hop. I love it, but hip-hop has, is also propaganda, which was, if you study the history of hip-hop and what was going on before NWA broke into the scene, it was it was propaganda. It was propaganda for uniting the community, and it was working at one point. And so, you know, people got into it, and now hip-hop is commercialized. For the most part, there's still yeah, some good artists out there. But well, for it's, some it's people, commercialized. For some people who don't quite get what you're saying because they're saying, oh, it's black people on TV and it's black people in the commercial, there was a controversy. I don't hear anybody speaking of it very much now, but I was in complete awe and shock when The Wiz was rebroadcast, when I was reproduced. And mm -hmm. for some reason, an entire generation was just not made aware of the whiz that was put on Broadway. They had Stephanie Mills, she was like 16, singing. That was just yeah. skipped over and forgotten about. So when the recent whiz came out with Queen Latifah and a bunch of other actors and actresses in it that people seemed to really enjoy, their thoughts went back to the original whiz, which points back to what we are given over and over again, whether it's a lack of acknowledgement to everyone in or I don't know if it's subconscious, well, it's probably a mixture of subconscious and purposeful. And I agree. I'm loving what you're saying about teaching our young girls because for so long there's been one group of people and all they focus on is their kids and their future and preservation yep. of their culture. So, again, whether it was purposeful, whether it was subconscious, they wanted to make sure you knew their story. Everyone knows about yep. red and white tablecloths and picnic, even though we never had any. So I know exactly what you're saying. I know exactly what right. you're saying with that. So with the images where you're saying a black couple, I don't hear you saying snuff out everything else. Just make sure you're included because you want to represent some of the people. You want to balance it out. Other, balance it out. And that seems to be the, the theme for this evening. Well, listeners, you're still here with us. Thanks so much. If you like what you're hearing and would like to continue listening to shows like this one, Please generously donate to our program through PayPal using Religion Means Alive, Religion Means Alive at gmail.com. This will enable continued broadcasting and helps us reach our goal centered on taking our mission from the airwaves to the streets. Now, for the people who like to take pictures and do videos and snippets and things like that, is that an expensive hobby? It for some people, be. it's a fun thing. Oh, I take pictures for weddings and friends, and then they end up, you know what, I think I kind of like this. Um, yeah. My daughter wants to be a filmmaker, and she mentioned a certain digital camera, and it was between three and $400. Which is not bad for a camera nowadays. <laughs> see, see? So we're going to have to, yeah, save up for that graduation present. But, yeah, go into, yeah. as you were talking about people who are very serious, how serious is it? You know, get down to the finances or the investment of it. 
Um, well, as with anything that you want to get into, you're going to have to invest in it. So, for example, you know, a lot of people film it. When I was in school, I had access to equipment through school, so I was able to do my first two projects. Um, I was able to film them for free. But now that I'm out of school, um, I have a camera, but I need to upgrade it. So, yes, I do have to invest in it. You don't necessarily have to go off and buy the $3,000, $4,000 cameras. Like, you can go online. If you're an aspiring filmmaker, you can go online to Craigslist. You can get, like, a Canon Rebel, a T3i. But, like, maybe, uh, I guess it was about maybe $300, $400 now, which is really not that bad. And they shoot really well. If you just know, if this goes back into settings, so you know about aperture, you know about lighting, you know about shutter speed. So you're not you're not you're not relying on the camera to make your picture look good. You're telling the camera what to do in order to make your picture look good. So for equipment with a camera, you can get yourself a used camera to start off with, and you can you can film with. For uh, lighting, um, there's a film called Daughters of the Dust that came out in the '90s, I believe, by Julie Dash. That whole mm-hmm. film was shot with natural light. They had no artificial light. So um, lighting, you know, a lot of people have, depending on what you want to do, uh, you can get yourself an LED light. If you want to be a photographer, you want to get flashes. If you're going to be a videographer, it depends on what, when you're filming, what you're filming, with your production schedule. Sometimes a lot of people don't realize it, but you you may see a day scene. You may see an interior day scene, but it was shot at night, and they had to create the light on the outside. Or sometimes people, I love shooting with natural light. I think it's amazing. So you just have to deal with, you just have to figure out your budget. Um, and then even with sound, you can get, um, you can get affordable equipment like my Zoom, which is an audio recorder, which you can record, you can connect to microphones to. I think I got it. A brand new one's gonna cost you, uh, maybe one, Fifty two hundred. I think I got mine used for like one point five. So it's 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 not it's not always about buying the most expensive as it is finding the equipment. Whether it's you can buy used equipment, there's nothing wrong with used equipment as long as you check it out. I think a lot of people get into this mindset that I have to have the most the most expensive equipment mm-hmm. in order for my film to look good, and that's not true because the equipment doesn't make the film. You make the film. You tell the equipment what to do. And when you're an independent uh, filmmaker. You make to do what to do with what you got. So yeah. you may not have money for that light. So you know what? We're going to have to try to figure out how to use the natural lighting because lighting with your eye and lighting with your camera is different. What the camera, the camera takes on light different than our eyes do. So, but for a filmmaker, I say start with just the camera and start shooting and start playing with f-stops and start playing with your shutter speed and your aperture. So you get a feel for one, how your camera works and you can learn. Um, how to manipulate the camera to get the lighting that you need, and and oh, editing. So I think most Macs or most computers come with either Windows. I think PCs come with Windows Media Maker. Macs come with iMovie. I am not the biggest iMovie fan. It doesn't give you as much. Um, it doesn't give you much as control. Let's say a Final Cut or a Premiere or Avid does, but you can make it work. Um, if you can afford Premiere or Final Cut, those are also, I know Premiere, that's part of the whole Adobe suite, which they're working on themselves, becoming more user-friendly, um, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's cheap, unless the students, they have they have student discounts. But if you can't afford that, you know, iMovie is free, and it's a good place to start, especially if you're 
just learning about editing. Okay. So it's really about just taking what you have and making the best with it. You don't, it's anytime, it's an investment. And eventually as you get more into it, you're going to have to invest. So as I've gotten mm-hmm. more into it, I had to invest in a tripod. I just had to invest in a new monopod. I had to invest in sound equipment. That doesn't mean if I'm doing a bigger production, I won't have to rent more equipment. But inshallah, I have the money so I can afford it. So it would be good. That goes into your, that goes into your budget, which is further down the line. But for someone who's just, like for your daughter who really wants to get into filmmaking, um, if she gets into a school that has a has a uh... hold on one second. Okay, start over. If I'm re- I'm using the Friday freestyle to record, so start over okay. where you were saying like for your daughter because I'm thinking of all the little teenage girls who are out here yeah. and are going beyond the Snapchat now. They're looking for right. more. So if you can restate so, that. So okay. So if you have young girls who are in college and they have access to, like, an equipment center, that's mm-hmm. a good place to start with. You can rent a camera, um, rent a tripod or a monopod, and just start shooting. You can get yourself a, a shotgun mic. They have mics that go on the cameras and plug into the camera to make sure they're on. And you can go and start shooting, whether you're doing interviews or doing a movie or whatever. If you don't have access to it and you don't have access to a camera, Use your phone. It's a good way to start in terms of learning how to frame your angles. Uh, you can use up a lot of your use up a lot of your your phone's memory depending on the size of phone you have. But also starting with your phone, they make they even make additional lenses for iPhones now. Like technology is so amazing that they're really trying to make everybody a filmmaker, which is cool. You just got to study it. But that's my thing to just go on YouTube. And work with what you got. If you have access to a cheap camera, that's not, I won't say cheap camera, but if you have access to a camera, whether it's a DSLR or it's an actual video camera, then mm-hmm. that's a great place to start. Just starting with the camera and getting used to using a camera and knowing what the functions do and knowing, especially if you want to be a director, so you'll know how to tell your director of photography what you want the shot to look like. So when you're looking in the monitor, you don't, you, you know what you're looking at. So that's a good place to start. Okay, okay. And, again, I hope there are many people taking notes because what happens, people like yourself and so many other people's names that you mentioned, you're so good at what you do, you make it look easy. So they say, oh, I can do that. I can make a movie. I can. And there was uh, one brother, Nacero Dean, who recently did Dito Virginia, and he went into all the things that he didn't know would be required from community support to venues Mm -hmm. to everything. It wasn't just as easy as saying I can throw something up on screen, get my name in life. It was an it was yeah. really an education in uh, what it required, and for your own, it taught him a lot of his about himself, your own tenacity. And when you're speaking of the prices of the equipment, it really shows your dedication to your craft. Because, like you said, yeah. the further down you go, you're going to have to invest anything that you're interested in. It's going to take a physical investment, a fiscal investment, and a mental and time investment. Exactly. And if you're good at it and you're dedicated mm-hmm. to it, you'll get you'll get a return on your investment. So just like, for instance, I just have to go because I'm also, I do podcasts and I'm rebranding my podcast. So mm-hmm. I have to go invest in a mic. I was trying to find a cheaper one on Craigslist, yeah. but I couldn't. Now, granted, this is the wrong mic and I have to take it back tomorrow, but still, that's an investment because mm-hmm. I know that that's going to yield a return. And, and it's and it's worth it. I think you know yes. that's just outside of anything, but it's definitely a financial investment and a time investment. Like we hear the stories of people 
can shoot a short in two or three days, and it's possible, but that has to be planned out. If you're dealing with working with people, if you're not paying them, you need to at least feed them. A fit, you know, a, a full crew is a happy crew. Um, if you're dealing with mm. actors, that people have personality. So there's a lot that goes into movies and narratives. Documentaries can be a little bit different, especially if you're just following someone around. But then if you're doing an interview, you got to schedule that. You got to get lighting. You got to get a location. So yeah, there's a there's a lot. People don't realize that when it comes to a movie, a, a maybe an hour and a half movie may take a couple of months to actually film, and then another couple of months after that to edit. And it was mm-hmm. two or three months before that to just get pre-production done, which is the actual planning. So there's a lot. It's time-consuming, and there's a patience to it, but the end result is is worth it. And what I hear you talking about, this breakdown of this many months for this and this many months for that, is the assertion of quality. So it sounds yeah, like if it you is. want to just film something and throw it up, you can do that. But if you want to be respected and taken seriously and possibly open doors, the time and the effort that goes into it kind of it kind of explains or um, distributes the quality that you hope to be seen and what it is that you create. Now you right. Mentioned- and I under- mm-hmm. go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say like, I, and I know that people sometimes are tight are tight on time, they're tight on resources. But you just have to be really cognizant of what you're doing. You have to really utilize your time and resources to the best of your ability. Everybody's not going to have three months. They're not going to have the resources or money to have a crew in the cast for three months. Sometimes all you have is one or two days. That goes into your pre-production and knowing, okay, this is the call time. This is what time we start rolling. We're breaking this time for lunch. We're going to do this scenes in this order. And then, we're, you know, um, we yell cut, and that's the end of the day at this time. Like, those are just things that you really have to map out. And if you're a director, you need to have a really strong producer or a line producer who can make sure you guys stay on time. It just it goes into a lot of planning and preparation. But if it's done correctly and if you have a great team behind you, it's it's so doable. It's a lot of work, but it's worth it. Okay, okay. One thing I did want to bring up, too, was I heard you mention that you wanted to teach, you know, some young African-American women on how to get everything done correctly, the ones who are just discovering through Snapchat that they like to take pictures and not just of themselves, you know. They want to take pictures mm-hmm. of sunsets. They want to take pictures of clothes. They want to take pictures of environments, of architecture. Is it a mm-hmm. male-dominated field currently, or does it depend on the subject? Because the whole food porn thing, I don't know when that started, but now you have people <laughs> who are skilled in taking pictures of pretty plates of food. And so it's going yeah. from clothing to shiny, fast cars and things of that nature. All kind of subjects are up for grab and up for Photoshop and up for all the technical terms that you mentioned that sound like you were speaking a foreign language to me. But <laughs> is it a dominated field overall or are there certain areas where women can actually get in? And I've heard, um, I worked at one company where there was a painting crew and all the painters were women. And I asked one guy about it. I said, I've never seen where it was a whole crew of women. He said, because they pay more attention to detail. So are there fields mm-hmm. that you can go into in visuals and photography and media where they're more receptive of uh, women or women's eye when it comes to that? Um, well, Hollywood itself is still white male-dominated, point blank, period. <laughs> it mm-hmm, still is. Mm-hmm. Um, the photography world, I'm not too sure about. I know that there are a lot. I know quite a few African-American 
uh, female Muslim photographers, but mm-hmm. they're the, the industry. I'm, I, I can't comment on the photography industry that much because I'm not too sure of it. However, I do know that there are a lot of black women creatives out there, and we are we've begun to create our own little crew and create our own tribe. And so there are women directors, there are women editors. Um, one of my mentors, Michelle Materic, she's a distributor, which is very important. A lot of people don't understand the importance of distribution, so that's why companies like Economist Entertainment or Rain Now, which was founded by Ava DuVernay, are important mm-hmm. because they distribute the they distribute the films. And Array has about uh, seven or eight films on Netflix right now, which is really good. And this is, I think, maybe their third year in in existence. So. Um, but with the onset now of like the, the Instagram photography and all that, a lot of people don't know that a lot of those pictures, iPhones actually have really good cameras and Apple is really making their phone much more advanced. But some people take those pictures with their actual cameras and they stage them and do the lighting and then they upload them to Instagram. So I think there's, I always think there's space for it. There's space for it. If someone is genuinely interested and taking mm-hmm. pictures of food, as long as you put your own angles on your Instagram. So yeah, maybe you, you're into you're a food photographer, but you mm-hmm. focus on traditional Senegalese foods or, or something like that. So mm-hmm. like I met a couple. I met some, uh, there's a there's a blog called the Black Forks, where it's a, a a sister and a brother from Jersey, I believe, who they're they're a food blog. And, you know, a lot of times there's this conversation of oversaturation, but I think we truly don't understand just how humongous the earth is and how humongous mm-hmm. the Internet is. And so it's not necessarily about oversaturation as much as it is about you being consistent and being loyal to your following. Because just like with podcasts and radio stations, there are a billion podcasts out there. But yes. the successful podcasts, they have their loyal fans, and when people are loyal to you, they are loyal to you. I have a friend that only listens to one podcast. Out of all these podcasts out here, she only listens yeah. to one every week. So um, when it comes to someone who wants to get into photography, especially um, Instagram is a great place to show your pictures, and it's a great place to start your portfolio. I wouldn't just limit it to Instagram, but it's a great place to start a portfolio to promote yourself and to um, direct people towards your website, which probably will have more of your portfolio and have your contact information and rates and things of that nature. But I'm all for people, especially when it comes to women creatives who want to become, I'm all for it. If Mm -hmm. that's what you're into and you're in, and even if you're just curious and you find out that's not what you want to do, then that's, that's fine. I think there's this misconception that, especially as young people, when you're in high school, you have to figure out, you have to know what you want to do in college immediately, and and that's not that's mm-hmm. not that's not necessarily that's not realistic. Because like for me, I got my bachelor's in management information systems, and I have not used it in the in the IT world because I'm not interested in it. Mm-hmm. But I had that idea that if I had to go to college and I had to pick something, that I didn't really have the space to just try to sit down and say. What am I passionate about? What do I want to do? Because honestly, mm-hmm. I took a film, I took a film class in undergrad and I loved it. I loved that class, but because of the fact that I was already in business school and I don't know how my parents felt about film at the time, it just wasn't something that I I even paid attention to. Even though I got an A in that class, and that was one of, that was a great class. I really enjoyed that <laughs> class. 
So it, it's really about if it's something you're interested in, studying about it, and being passionate about it. Like your first few, if you want to get into phone food porn, your first few pictures may not be that great. But if you continue to, if you, if you continue at it, you improve. And there's, I have a few friends who started off self, they're self-taught photographers who studied and they went to classes and they mm-hmm. read books and YouTube channels and throughout time they continue going on and their work has gotten better. And so now this is what they do. So it's, it's about really, if it's something you're interested in, it's about studying and, and practice. Like when it comes to film and photography, it's, it's something that you have to do in order to perfect it. Hmm. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. My next topic that I had for us was going to be the importance of Muslims in the media, and you kind of topped on, you kind of touched on that in the beginning, where a lot of the images mm-hmm. are not reflecting the African American base, and right. that could be because the images that are being used are they're trying to incite fear. And we're mm-hmm. a lot of times we are allowed, we are left out of the conversation. I think it's because America's so used to us, so we don't incite any type of, oh, that's that's Karima, you know, she's my child's daycare teacher. There's right. no, there's no particular reaction you can get, like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. So you got to tie it to something foreign or something strange or something people don't understand because people see us every day. However, we both are on the same page because I work with um, as a social media manager for Scheme of Things Graphics, as you know, where we promote Mm -hmm. images of covered women so that people will see us not only in a regular life that, you know, you don't have to be afraid of us, but for those of us who are covered women in an extraordinary life, the, the commitment, the special role that we play in society, the representation that we have of a, a whole a whole religion when we're walking around covered. So the ordinary and the extraordinary. But if you could go into the importance of Muslims in, in the media, from whether it's newscasts, whether it's clothing detergent commercials, how important is it for America to see us? Because the rest of the world has Muslims everywhere inundated in their society, and it's a part of their mm-hmm. history, and they can't extract it. But here in America, it's still kind of a glossed-over situation mm-hmm. How important it is yeah. for non-Muslims to see us, and then for Muslims for us to see ourselves. Um, I think it's very important. I think it, it, it is a fact that America likes to act as if Islam is this foreign thing that just popped up 20 years ago, whereas in, there were Muslims on the slave ships that came over, mm-hmm. who well, some of them managed to retain their being even though they were being forced to accept Christianity. But I think one of the reasons. Why it's really important, especially for us as African-American Muslims, to be seen is because the narrative of Islam is other, and it's foreign. So now you have a lot of these Muslims who are from, who were born here, but their families are from Pakistan or Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, wherever. And now they, even though before 9-11, let's be honest, they were assimilating to being white folks. 9-11 mm-hmm. came and changed, 9-11 came and changed all of that. It's now they're seen the as the other. Mm-hmm. Everything for them. And now they're seen as the other. And so what happened is that now there's this image of Islam that has a political reason to it because, you know, there's, America has something to gain politically from all of this, this terror and this scariness that they're um, putting on the image of Islam. However, one of the reasons that I feel like they, intentionally 
leave out African-American Muslims is because of the fact that the face of Islam is a black Muslim woman that has on an African head wrap and a banging denim skirt, then that challenges, for one, that, that challenges the narrative and that changes the whole conversation because yeah. then politically that doesn't that doesn't support what you're trying to do politically in these other countries and yeah. then two that also forces Muslims to admit the fact that yes well, Islam itself is not racist but some of y'all Muslims are <laughs> you know this is like, true this is true. this is this whole not to go too off tangent but just how even within Islam African American Muslim culture itself is has been appropriated and we see it now with this whole turban craze where mm-hmm. now everybody is a turbanista when 15 years ago <laughs> those of us who have been wearing our hair our hair mm-hmm. color and hairstyles that reflect our our heritage as the yes. of slaves whether it's a gay or the quote-unquote hip-hop bun which meant black girl head wrap yeah. we were shunned and we were chastised and I was told I wasn't a real Muslim and people looked down on me Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, it's a fad, and you think you're going to try to teach me, but then at the same time, you still don't want to talk about my issues. There's a problem where if I go to the masjid and the imam will talk about the importance of supporting Palestine and supporting Syria, but won't talk about the importance of, support, the importance of supporting the Muslims here in America who have, been, who have been oppressed since we got here. So what happens is when you change the narrative and you start focusing on Black or African American Muslims, mm-hmm. all of this accountability comes into place that America and Muslims don't want to talk about because America is still on this whole we're democratic and we're for everyone, but that's not the truth. And you have some Muslims that, especially after 9/11, Islam is, is perfect and there's no there's no racism, but y'all still treat me like I'm crap because I've got more melanin than you. So I think one of the reasons why it's important, especially one of the reasons why for me that I want to start entering the image of of African-American Muslims in the media isn't Mm -hmm. necessarily because of America. It's not necessarily because of our Arab brothers and sisters. It's because of us. Mm -hmm. Because I know what it feels like to be a black girl, a black Muslim girl in America, and not to see any others because you know, my parents weren't born Muslim. They reverted to Islam. I'm, me and my sister are the first generation born into this as well as mm-hmm. like my, my generation. So there was really no one for us to look up to to see that, oh, they've done this too. But now there's a generation coming after us. You know, my generation is having children. And you have young girls who are graduating from college who were born Muslim. And they're going through those same troubles we went through trying to balance this life out, trying to be Muslim in America. And mm-hmm. the difference between them and me is that they have me to look at. So I feel like it's my responsibility to create those images so that they can see, like, you're not alone. And there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with you wanting to mm-hmm. express yourself. There's nothing wrong. If you decide you want to wear a denim skirt and an African head wrap, you're fine. That does not make you any less of a Muslim, even though they come and try to say whatever they want to you, not to their own cousin who doesn't cover at all, just to you. There's nothing wrong with you. Like, there's, there's this idea that we have to choose between being black and Muslim. Mm-hmm. Whereas in my household, I didn't ever have to choose. It was one thing. There was no, the way I was raised, there was no conflict between being African American and Muslim. 
I knew mm-hmm. the hit, I knew my Islamic history, I knew my African American history. I knew that African history included Islam. I knew about Manson Luther before they started telling everybody about him in the past. Mm-hmm. So I knew about that. I knew about all of that. So it wasn't until I got to college and I encountered the others that are considered foreign. So, you know, when, when, when I got to college, like I was saying, it wasn't until I got to college and I met other Muslim women to the exact from other nationalities who made me feel some type of way about the fact that I'm wearing a Khalid Garth skirt in, I don't know, on a Saddam Shakur t-shirt or whatever. Like, and they just looked down on me specifically about the way that I wore my kimar. And it, let's be real, some black Muslims did too. Like, there were some black Muslims who feel like you have to look Arab in order to be Muslim or, or whatnot. And I'm like, that's cool for you. So it's the fact that you know, and it, it always happens whenever like these conversations happen about Muslim um, oppression around the world. Our oppression here in America isn't talked about. Like how many MSA, how many uh, MSA, how many MSA has MSAs have had events for Black Lives Matter, but Black Muslims go hard for Palestine. We go yeah. hard for Syria. We go yeah. hard for Libya, as we should. We should go hard mm-hmm. because. As, as humans, we should, but that favor is not returned to us when we're over here struggling. When, those, when, the, when the brother and the two sisters were murdered in Chapel Hill, Muslims rose up together to mourn and to support their family. But when those three brothers in Fort Wayne were murdered, everybody was silent, and then came the excuses. Mm-hmm. But that's because of the image that is pushed of black men, because of the fact that they were found shot execution style in a battered mm-hmm. home. And oh, that, they no. must have been they must be gang members. Even though the family had to come out and say these boys were not in gangs, they were in school, yeah. they were working, you still have some Muslims talking about, well, they were gang members, so yeah, whatever. Yeah. So just, yeah. I, I just, I really want to treat and I never those heard, images. I never heard anything mm-hmm. else about that case. Ever. Ever. I never you, heard if anybody you, you was, caught, was anybody prosecuted. I never heard anything else about it. Ever. Nope. Other than they were killed nope. execution style in that house, and that was it. Yeah. And they showed their and pictures, they, and they had Muslim names, and they were like, oh, it must have terrorist ties. Oh, they must have this and that. And people were able to just dispose of that situation. So, right. right. And that's a reflection. That's a reflection on the state of the national or the, the, the Muslim community that encompasses all races. We as black people are still viewed as inferior, but it's okay to want to try to to wear your your hair wrap like me and listen to Wu Tang Clan or whatever, but you don't want to you don't want to participate in anything with Black Lives Matter. So I just want to. So my my main audience are my people because it's really important that we see images created by us. So many times we see images that somebody else creates and we allow them to dictate what we are, who we are. But we're in the age, especially now with social media, that we have the tools that we need to create our own images. And I really want to just promote the image of African-American Muslim women. Like, we are Mm -hmm. here. Well, listeners, you're still here with us. Thanks so much. If you like what you're hearing and would like to continue listening to shows like this one, please generously donate to our program through PayPal using Religion Means Alive, religionmeansalive at gmail.com. This will enable continued broadcasting and helps us reach our goal centered on taking our mission from the airwaves to the streets. We've been here, and that's that's kind of the, like, with my blog, I changed my branding to kind of focus on that. So, mm-hmm. you know, just letting people know, like, my head wrap is not a fad. 
people. My mother was doing this before any of us were even here. Alicia mm-hmm. Franklin was on the album cover with her hair covered. Nina Simone had her hair covered. Mm-hmm. Kayla had her hair. All of these black women who were Muslim and non-Muslim had their hair covered. This is mm-hmm. nothing new, but because of the fact that the other has decided that they wanted to do it, now it's, it's this huge fact. And so that's my main goal, just to show our people, not only to represent and to use my platform to say, like, I am here, we are mm-hmm. here, we have been, we've been here, been we've here. been struggling. Like, mm-hmm. if anything, after 9-11, you would have thought that there would have been some sort of, some, some sort of communication and solidarity, because you think they would have been like, you know what, well, we get it, we, we, we get it, but it wasn't there. It wasn't there, because... To them, it's like, okay, now you guys need to fight for us. But you guys weren't fighting for us, and we've been here going through this. And even when you're done, and this whole Islamist foreign thing is is, is over, and y'all back to do whatever, we're still going to be over here fighting for our rights and black people in this country. <laughs> and we built this alone. country and made it possible for y'all to come over here and to do the things that you're doing and to build your own community. So it's, it's just, that's that's my goal. I want to promote our images. It's something I also encourage my friends to do, to just make yourself seen so that this younger generation under us can know that it is possible. It is possible to be an African-American Muslim woman in America and to be confident and and be content with your identity, to not have an identity crisis. African-American and Muslims do not conflict with each other. Don't let anybody tell you that they do. I wanted to say also, um, or I wanted to add, one disturbing conversation because I was not, I was, I was raised Christian and Mm -hmm. uh, converted to Islam later on in life. But one thing we never, ever, 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 ever did was deny our heritage and our culture. One thing that Mm -hmm. I see that has become a trend with uh, a lot of new Muslims is everything to do with your culture. Every single eye from the fried chicken to everything that may have been a part of what made you you and what told the story of your family and everything, it is wrong, 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 wrong. And yep. that, that, that has been a troubling situation for me. So one of the guests that I invited to my show was a gentleman who had come to Charlotte um, or opened a business about 15 or 20 years ago called the House of Africa. And he's from Senegal, since Papandier. And he hosts mm-hmm. the Juneteenth Festival. And they'll be having a grand 20th anniversary of Juneteenth. And I really wanted to have him on not only to expose him and, his, and the, the, the beautiful items that he has from the motherland, but to talk to me about can you have a balance of faith and culture? It seems to be a lost conversation, but I see every other culture that's in Islam hold on to their culture. And it's almost yep. magnified. This is the only culture. And then there are some African-Americans who voluntarily give up everything that grandma told them, everything that, everything that made them them. They strip it all the way, all the way for in favor of adopting a whole other culture. Absolutely. And, you know, what is that about? Yeah. Well, I mean, that goes into, like, just our issues psychologically as African-Americans. Mm-hmm. When you understand the trauma that we dealt with physically and mentally, and then after slavery was abolished, we were still we were still messed with, we were still hunted, and to this day, the trauma has never ended. And so, when you've been conditioned 
to just hate yourself. You've been conditioned that everything about you is wrong, and then all of a sudden you hear this new, you have this new thing where they're promoting it as, you know, we're for everybody, and then all of a sudden now you want to act like you've got accent and you're from some other country or whatever. It just mm-hmm. goes into that self-hate. That's just the same as some African-Americans. Like, at one point, everybody had Indian in them or everybody got Dominican in them or something like that, just trying to just negate what you are because that's what we've been programmed to do. And it really sucks because of the fact that in Islam, everybody practices Islam how it fits into their culture, except us. And I think one of the reasons why it is is because we as African Americans culturally have so much influence on other cultures mm-hmm. and we don't know it. We financially have influence on things. We have so much influence that we don't know. And I think if we decide, you know what, we're going to do our own thing. We're going to support our own people. It, it shifts the power. Because, like, that's one thing my father would always say, like, I'm not giving up one slave master for another. And that's true. Like, I didn't, my, my father said he didn't break from Christianity and from the the uh, the religion of the slave master just to take another one. And, yes, Arabs have slaves, but at the same time, it wasn't as if Islam was forced on us. Because, like I said, Nancy Musa, richest guy ever, and was Muslim. Making mm-hmm. time gave away so much gold that he changed the economy. But when it comes to African Americans, um, people benefit off our oppression. So mm-hmm. it happens that once we start to change our mind and you know what, this is me, because anyone who knows me, like, and I don't know if it's a kid when I turn 30 or whatever, but I'm really comfortable with myself as mm-hmm. an African-American Muslim woman right now, like more comfortable than I've ever been. And it's not saying that I never, I wasn't comfortable, but you know, just growing up and you're learning different things, but it's mm-hmm. like, I am comfortable with how I am. And, that challenges people because some people, you have some black people who feel some type of way like, oh, what about this and what about that out of fear because yes. they still believe that they are inferior. They believe yeah. that, you know, we don't know anything. We can't teach anything. Someone else has mm-hmm. to do it. We don't. So what I hear a lot is what I've heard in different social media groups is we don't have a culture. We it don't have no a culture. Sense. And I was like, what? How would So they have totally adopted Again, just like the, what your father said, you know, trading one slave master for another, all the way down to in the marriage group, you will see a picture of someone from the Middle East, and he's handsome, and he must have money, and then you'll see African-American men, and all the doubts start, and it's like, wait, our men are still handsome. Yeah. Our men are still valuable um, to right. us, and this is not to make it personal, but that's one thing that I've seen. They totally, it's like, there used to be the, the a white guy with blonde hair, red hair, a drop-top sports car flying down the street yep. with tennis rackets in the back. So that meant affluent. Now yep. it's the, the Saudi brother in, in a white crispy soul and a beard of my hair. That means affluence. And, they're over, and the imagery, again, it goes back to the imagery. We have got to put more images of us because we're here and we exist because some of the new people, and it won't even be just for us today, for our future. I want them to be able to scroll through Google Plus and find some images that look like them, some images, and they're okay, and their neighbor is okay, and their cousin who's got servant on is okay, and the cousin who's got the, the kufi on. They're not an odyssey. They're not trying to be something else. They're just Muslim yeah. and black at the same time, and that's okay. Same time. At the same like, time. We just, <laughs> we just lack, as a people, we just mm-hmm. lack so much self-love. And what happens is that you have people who become Muslim and people put this huge burden on them, like, 
you, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. And I remember telling somebody, like, if I weren't born Muslim and I looked at the way Muslim, some of these Muslims portray Islam, I wouldn't want to be Muslim either because y'all are all miserable. Like, Islam yeah. is not that That matters, too. We, that presentation matters. It matters, and we make it so difficult, especially, and there's so much burden put on us, especially as women in Islam, because, you know, we're the walking posters for it. And we're mm-hmm. expecting y'all. Oh, you're, you're too you're, you're too loud, or you shouldn't be here by yourself. And why aren't you marrying them? Blah 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 blah. But you know, but then you start studying Khadija, and you're like, well, she was rich, and she employed profit, and she, you know, all these different things. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other mm-hmm. conversation. But I just yeah. think really like we struggle as African Americans. We mm-hmm. still struggle from the psychological trauma of slavery. We were never cured of that. Like that was a that was a physical and a psychological trauma. Like People don't understand with lynchings, like when people equate the the killing of black men and women by the police, that's modern day lynchings. What made a lynching bad was it wasn't just the fact that somebody was taken and hung to their death. They left the body there for everyone to watch, for people to see and Mm -hmm. to scare you like that goes back to that subconscious. It's the same thing now, like we're constantly seeing. That's another form of terrorism. You, it is. And so we're constantly mm-hmm. seeing these images of our bodies mm-hmm. being shot, excuse me, being shot, or black mm-hmm. women were being objectified, and mm-hmm. we're led mm-hmm. to believe we don't have control of our bodies. And so people take all that and they bring that into Islam, but don't even study Islam, because if you study Islam, then Islam corrects all that. But people just go off what people tell them, and they get into the whole oh, I'm going to learn Arabic and all that, you completely lose yourself, which then at some point yeah. you're doing it wrong. Because becoming Muslim in no way, it, it, it in no way. You know what's awful funny, which plays on, or, or I think it's the awful testament to just the discrimination of black people in Islam. The mm-hmm. richest man, the richest man in history was Muslim. And you don't mm-hmm. hear Muslims talking about it. The richest man in history was an African Muslim who gave away so much money while traveling to hide that he changed the economy of sub-Saharan Africa. But they don't mm-hmm. talk about that. Why? Because he was African and black and he knew it. So that just You know, the, the like- first time I ever heard about him or saw him was at a corner store on a Budweiser mm-hmm. poster. All the little corner really? stores that were owned by black people, the few of them, they Budweiser, beer had these posters for either Black History Month or Black History Education. Every month was a different and page. Beer. And it was a and beer. And it was Budweiser beer. I promise you it was a beer or Anheuser-Busch or somebody. But it was a picture yeah. of Mansa Musa. I was like, wow. And it, it was they had drawn the picture, and he was all displayed in his gold and his robes and all this other kind of stuff. But every page you turned, it was someone in history. And that wasn't even us contributing to our history, you know. Nope, that, that was them trying to get to sell beer. That's right, hey, but it was what you it was what you said though about where if you've got a business in Bushwick, you should cater to the people in that in, in that in that community because you want to make money. So somebody at that beer company was smart enough to make all these yep, posters. That's black, yep, it was it was called Black Kings and Queens or something. I think people have taken those pictures and put them on the internet and put different quotes and stuff and made memes out of them. But I remember seeing those in different corner stores, and it would be or different beauty shops. African-American beauty yeah. shops would have the black kings and queens posters in there 
um, calendars also. I've seen and it, those. I didn't yep. know those were Budweiser. That's what it was. Some beer company. That was the first time wow. I ever saw or read anything about Mansa Musa because I have an uncle Musa, and so that's mm-hmm. from the name side. That was before I heard Islam, and that's that was the name that I remembered. And my uncle was, oh, Mansa Musa. Oh, okay. Well, he was, he was, oh, wow. He had it going on. Trump food. So, and it was so if you went into that store in that community in that neighborhood, you saw that because there was always an effort. I will say, coming from um, Christianity, there was an effort of conscious African-American Christians that in court, yes. they had like one Sunday where everybody dressed in African clothes or they would have different, um, like Alvin Ailey dance troupe, they had local African dance troupe, and they would, my mm-hmm. mother signed me up for classes. And so they kept that connectivity. So when I interviewed the gentleman who owns the House of Africa here in Charlotte, that is one thing, the Islam and his family has gone back and it blew me away, 100 generations, 100 mm. generations, and he still has not signed off his culture. I said, well, amazing. now, 100 we generations of Islam, yes, he can, 100 generations of Islam in his family, and he has not given up, he has not disassociated himself from that culture at all, you know. And, again, it goes back to the power of imagery. Where we need those of us who see it in lack, step up to it. And I like what you said before. If you're not a creative, if you can't paint, if you can't take a picture, if you can't play a drum, if you can't sew an outfit out of Africa, then support the people who are on that mission. Exactly. It was the same exactly. way with uh, the Freedom Riders. So you might be scared to leave. You might not have wanted to fight for justice because you needed your job at the factory, but you sure could make some sandwiches for those people. So it's like yeah. it takes a unified collective effort all the way around. And if we want to see more positive images of African-American Muslims, because we are missing from the only African-American Muslims, I will say, that they reach out to for any type of commentary that are in the Muslim realm, are the nation of Islam. And there are right. so many of us that are here as well who have something to say. So instead of waiting for them to pass us the mic or waiting for that invitation, create our own venue, create our own way mm-hmm. to get this information out. Because all of this waiting, man, you're just the bus is passing us by over and right. over and over. We don't want you on our bus. So it's like, let me set up my own situation here. You have African-American Muslims who create different institutions, and their own people don't support it. So, Must like, there are African-American Muslims who own businesses, who mm-hmm. design clothes, who are artists, who mm-hmm. are musicians and supporters. For some reason, that, that's, that, that's that mental trauma that we have. We find it hard to support ourselves because we've been conditioned to believe that we can't do anything. We, it's not good mm-hmm. enough unless it's co-signed by somebody else, or at this co-sign yes. by either this white dude or this Arab dude, or we can't co-sign ourselves. Our words are not good enough. And it's mm-hmm. tough, so there's so many talented people out there. And so many. You know, we just, I was talking to a friend about it, like, just to be honest, you know, could you really make a living just depending on the dollar from black Muslims? No, because we don't support ourselves because we've been conditioned not to. And so that's that's a struggle in itself. Like, or then you have people that want to come and reinvent, recreate the wheel because of that ego thing. It's like, well, I have to do it. Like, no, mm-hmm. we don't. It exists. Now, granted, there's nothing wrong with having options and different people doing the same thing, but it shouldn't be just because you're jealous that someone else did it before you. And that happens. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. there are so many African Americans who are business owners and creators so many. and thinkers. 
and we just we really have to just support and promote mm-hmm. our own people. Like people who know me, like I am the one. I buy stuff for my friends all the time, whether it's shirts, bags, and I'm not even asking for a discount because the whole notion of a hookup, we've got that backwards in our in mm-hmm. black community. We don't the hookup. We we are, our idea of a hookup is actually hurting us. You know, we always want something for free, but we don't invest in each other and spend our money with each other. And we don't we don't even study like Black Wall Street. People hear of it, but they don't study it and study mm-hmm. the fact that you had all these millionaires and these banks because they spent their money with each other. There's yep. nothing wrong with going to a, a different uh Indian restaurant or a Mexican restaurant, but that shouldn't be the only place you go because you just don't want to work with your own people. You know, yeah. and then on the flip side, some black folks need a little business savvy teaching to learn how to, you know, run a business or whatnot. But we mm-hmm. just really have to learn how to invest in ourselves and just like really want to, and, and even sacrifice for ourselves. Like sometimes a friend of mine may have a bag that costs a little bit more than somebody I don't know, but I know that this dollar is going back into my community. So I'm going to mm-hmm. just ch- chalk it up and pay that extra $5 because this is a person who I know the reason it probably costs five more dollars is because they're not making the amount of money the other person is making. And so in order to recoup the cost and all that, they got to charge that five dollars. So, but that goes into just knowing how business is working and all that. But yeah, we yeah, just have to yeah. really support each other. And we really do. And again, once again, that imagery helps putting it out there helps because being on mm-hmm. Facebook, I have met people in just regular Facebook groups that are African American attorneys. They're, okay, yeah. African American Muslim attorneys, African American Muslim nurses, physicians, electricians. I have not met anyone in any of those fields that Christians have that we don't have. And not to make a religious debate or a ploy here, but for those of us who go and we seek something from a specific industry, we are already there. And a lot of us have had long-established businesses, and we're just holding on to the little bit of clientele we got because, as you said, our own somehow – devalue us but for every just about every industry where you seek someone's assistance and service there's a muslim owned business somewhere yeah there are even little um little apps where you can actually put in what city you're located in and find the closest one to you so like you said you're not excluding everyone but every so often you know just give back every so often it's your turn to row the oar keep the cycle going fill up the bucket again for the next person. So I'm I'm all for that. I had another question also, too, um, before we wrap this up. Do you consider mm-hmm. yourself an artist or one who documents, or both? Uh, both. Both. Because of that, like, when I first got into media, I really wanted to work in, with documentaries because I wanted mm-hmm. to give people a platform to tell their story, and I just mm-hmm. wanted to be a catalyst for that person's story. But as I started studying more and really being more critical, I saw that there was a there was a narrative voice that was missing. So I decided mm-hmm. to um kind of switch over. So I think I'm an artist and a documentarian. Like not only do I do I create but I also because I'm a curator as well, so I also create a space mm-hmm. for other people to promote their images and to promote their art and promote themselves. So I'm a little bit of both. Okay. Artistic okay. documentarian. There you go. <laughs> and that's got to be, that's got to make it a lot more interesting uh, to have a little splash of both. Gives it a little bit more above the. It does. Because there's, yeah. there's so many creative people out there. And 
when you start dealing with creatives and people come up with ideas and you're just like, wow, I would have never even thought about that. And just like um, there's a brother, Khaled Sabri, he's based in the Bronx. And he's a mixed media artist. And some of the stuff he comes up with, like I had one of his pieces on my wall where I had went, he had a showing and I was like, I'm just going to buy one little thing because I'm on a budget, but I want to buy something. So I bought a necklace. But then I saw this picture and in the picture, the man is smaller and the convert, they're like, they're all in Sajud or they're in prostration. And the man is, is smaller, but the congregation is bigger. And that's to signify that the the community is more important than the man. It's not about the man. It's about the community. And I just I had to buy it right then and there. I was like, you know, I'm gonna have to just cut money from somewhere else. But I gotta have this picture. Mm-hmm. And just even just people they come up with different things. I have another friend of mine that's a musician, and just hearing the things he come up with is like, oh my goodness. And I just wanna mm-hmm. I just want people to have the space to promote that, or just that just comes to me like being a company manager. Like my job is to make sure that. There are things you don't have to worry about so that you can focus on creating your music. And then not only that, but I have to service that protection because once mm-hmm. you start getting a little popular, the vultures come, especially the financial vultures and the culture vultures, and everyone's just mm-hmm. trying to come at you. Culture, and, you know, that's, yeah, that's where having a team to protect you and having a team to keep you, keep you balanced and keep you humble really comes in. So it's just, it's so many creative people out there are just, once you meet one on Facebook or Instagram, there's one mm-hmm. or two, and you start seeing people liking their pictures, and you say, well, let me go check out this picture yeah. or this person, and then it's just a whole other, like, oh, my God. Bunch. It's yeah. just so many people out there, and it's just so great to and even get inspiration for something somebody has done, or you just meet someone, you just say, can I talk to you? I want to, you know, just get out, I want to get your opinion on some things, and that leads to something else. Next thing you know, you're co-curating something with someone. The possibilities are limitless. It's just, they are. you know, opening your eyes out there and just mm-hmm. just looking at the, it's, it's there. It's there. It like, we, like I said, we've been here. We, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> yes. Well, one, one guest that I have, and um, his show will be broadcast in the next coming weeks, inshallah, the brother Wali Ali, who is a guitarist and musician who's been in the mm-hmm. music industry for a very long time. I think very, very, very highly of him. And I enjoyed having a conversation, again, that will be broadcast in the next couple of weeks. But he also stressed the importance of, like you, in media. And he was saying how we need Muslims with, with radio shows and television shows and the format and the platforms for us to be seen and, and stop waiting for permission for those types of things. We've gone to college. We have jobs. We can say we can come together like a team or, another word, as a community with a mm-hmm. common goal and get a bunch of things accomplished, inshallah. So, I pray that this show, the things that you do, and the other people I've interviewed and so many people out there, that we can come together on a common ground and realize that we do have a need to make our faces known, to make our presence known, because we've been here. But look at us. Don't just look at us. Also, talk to us. Relate to us. Communicate with us. Ask us how we feel about different things. And if you don't ask us, we're going to do like right now. We're going to tell you. Right. Um, Before I wrap it up again, and I I said that before, but I had two more, three Mm -hmm. more quick topics to touch really quickly. And for the people who are just tuning in, you're listening to Religion Means a Lot presents the Radiant Brilliance Show with your host, Kimberly Kalima, the show where culture meets conversation. And we have director and producer Malika Shabazz. And our topic tonight is the discussion of the power of imagery. Quickly, tell us about your blog. We touched it just a little bit. 
and then about your upcap your upcoming podcast, inshallah. Okay, so my blog is called Detroit Girl in the New York World. Um, it was it kind of grew from a Facebook, a couple of Facebook albums that I started. I'm originally from Detroit, and I moved mm-hmm. to New York. I moved to Brooklyn in 2009. I had this little camera, and I used to take pictures all the time, and I would just make photo, I make albums, and it's a play on Erica Badu's Analog Girl in a Digital, in a digital World, mm-hmm. except mine was Detroit Girl in the New York World, because okay. just, I was I was catching things that New Yorkers thought was, was regular, but for me, now being from here, I was just like, what in the world? And so I just created these photo albums, and a friend of mine was like, you should start a blog. And so mm-hmm. I started the blog, and originally it was just me going, I would go to different events, and I would write up about the event, or I would go do a review of a coffee shop or whatever. But I, that kind of died down, because it wasn't something I really wanted to get into. And then it grew to me uh, just talking about art stuff. So I would talk about albums. Um, I did a review for Straight Outta Compton. Um, every February, uh, February is the month where Jay Dilla, who is a, a international known producer who was from Detroit, he mm-hmm. was born and he passed away in the month of February. So in February, every day I would post a, a song by him or produced by him. Mm-hmm. But just, just I was just still, still trying to find my voice. And in the process of me working on my personal brand, I decided that you know let me use this platform um, to really give voice to. Not necessarily the voices, but the ignored. So I decided, okay, I want to, I'm going to start speaking on issues from the perspective of African American Muslim women. Mm-hmm. And so I started off with, I think my first, after rebranding, I think my first post was, uh, my head wrap is not a fad. And then I did another post that was based off, I don't know if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, ICNA, there was this, there was this little scandal where I guess in their matrimonial session, there was a question asking if you had a preference of skin color or something like that. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, I know the executive director issued a statement saying that, you know, that was a mistake. I was like, okay, a mistake. Yeah. But that just brought to like the idea. I see a lot of conversations on, on Facebook about, um, and I see it, unfortunately, a lot for some of our brothers saying that, you know, Y'all not racist, but you won't let us marry your daughters, and so on and yeah. so forth. And there's always that discussion about black folks and Arabs not being able to marry. Like in the 90s, a lot of black women married Arab men so they thought it was going to be better, or whatever. So I did this post, and it was titled, Non-Black Muslims Don't Want to Marry Me, I Don't Care. And mm-hmm. it made it rounds, and it did really well. And they got, you know, friends of mine were telling me it was shared in groups and all these other different types yeah. of things. So I said, okay. And these are like, I have like, it's just, that's something that I'm more passionate about. Not that I'm not passionate about music and arts, I am, mm-hmm. but I understand the the importance of the viewpoint of a, a black Muslim. Because I'm not the only one. There's other blogs like Shwinky Jabby by Nadira Angel. She's actually a good friend of mine. And so mm-hmm. her blog is actually really good as well. So um, that's what oh my, my blog is. I shared some of her stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. Nadira, she's a great writer. Um, and she also she's she's written a book before. She did a short she did a a short story. She also she, I think I have two, both two of the books are in my bookcase right now. But um, yeah. So with my blog, it's, it's primarily just issues from or just uh, talking about certain issues from the viewpoint of African American Muslim women. And then my blog, which I'm in the process of rebranding, is going to um, highlight the Black Muslim experience. So what I'll do is probably have different guests, African Americans, in different uh, in different 
uh, genres or different um, trades. So mm-hmm. you have some performers. And not only that, you even have friends. It's about it's more. It's not necessarily just about saying, "Well, this person's a singer, this person's an actor, this person is this." Like, I may just have a friend of mine, and we're talking about marital issues or mm-hmm. something like that. But it's just giving. It's just promoting our voice. Yes. And so I, I'm, I'm in the process of rebranding, and I have a couple of interviews I need to do. The first one is going to be with my parents. That's <laughs> fun. <laughs> so, but yeah, definitely just doing that in terms of just okay. really working towards pushing our images out there and just really yeah. using using the, the platforms and what little following or whatever that I have or something and just really pushing our voices out there. Okay, so is your the the blog for Detroit Girl New York World, is that the only way where people can read more about you or see any of your other items that you have that you're working on? Is there any other uh, place where people may be able to go and check it out? I know you mentioned being the curator. Could you tell us about that site or how to find that? Oh, yes, Bilalian Experience. So that's on Instagram. If you just look up Bilalian Experience. Mm-hmm. And basically um, what it is, it's just it's images that you don't see in the media. So it's, it's African-American Muslims, whether it's just friends of mine, whether it's just if it has Muhammad, whether it's uh, yoga instructors, chefs, anything, just the images that, the images of Muslim that you don't see, I curate on mm-hmm. that page. Um, in terms of me personally, I'm being the media person. I'm across pretty much all the culture platforms. So mm-hmm. my personal website, um, we've been under construction, but there's still a slash page and a slash percent email. It's malikaashavaz.com. So that's M-A-L-I-K-A-H-A Shabazz or S-H-A-B-A-Z-Z.com. Of course, my blog is betgirlnyworld.com. The, the Instagram, Twitter is at Malika313BK. And also on YouTube is betgirlnyworld.com. And all of those links, if you go to my website, malikaashabaz.com, there's links to all of that there. And so on YouTube, you can actually see the vortex and you can see transplants. Um, you can see a few other little things I did. Like I did a spot for a friend who was um, – she was entering to revolt with having a contest looking for their VJs. And so I did that for her. So that's on there. Um, I had a little moment where I was into the vlog sphere. So I have a few vlogs, but I just didn't have time to do vlogs, let alone mm-hmm, mm-hmm. making other videos. So yeah, but if you just, at least, if you just even go to either my website or my blog, there's links to all of that. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for giving us so much of your time. I feel like I took a class in photography and mass media. <laughs> but also I was Thank able you. to listen to a, a young, intelligent, African-American Muslim woman, Muslim woman display class in the face of adversity, in the, in the face of impending change. There's a big task that you have ahead of you. A lot of us do. Yes, and it's not anything that we can shy away from. And I am glad to see us proudly stand and say, you know what, I'm up to that task. I'm going to represent my story, and I'm going to tell it. The only way for people to hear it is if you tell it. Even the ones who choose to ignore, there are so many people who are affected by the negative media that actually have logic and common sense, and they are thinking this cannot be all there is to the Muslim population. Mm-hmm. And I only know that because they tap me on the shoulder at work, or they tap me <laughs> on the shoulder at the bus. Excuse me, are you Muslim? 
I know this is God. I know, are you, are you, I have questions. So um, there's mm-hmm. a good friend of mine, Dustin Bardo, he works with a magazine, a local magazine called Muslim American Media. And there was mm-hmm. a girl that I know recently who had a lot of questions about Islam. I had a whole bunch of the issues left over, and I gave them to her to read. And she, and she was like, oh, I poured through all of them. And he also has where um, you can go online, and he's got it, the electronic, the e-magazine, the digital version. So you can just read and scroll in the privacy of her own home. And things like that are dawah. And his whole purpose for creating it was to unite all the Muslim communities here in Charlotte. Then he said, oh, well, all in North Carolina. So he advertises different things, reaches out to people for articles, and it's not even a sectarian situation. If you're Muslim, mm-hmm. you got something to say that's good and positive, write me an article. And that's how he goes about it. So there's a cross-section and a representation of everybody. And by her reading it, she was able to get a really balanced view of something that she couldn't get from turning on a TV set or going online to your regular mainstream news report. So by saying that, I want to thank you for pushing forward, telling your story, and by doing that, you're telling our story. Ms. Malika Shad. Thank you so much. Thank you so much yes, for ma'am. having me. And kudos to everything that you're doing. It's really important that we have these outlets, be radio mm-hmm. or video, everything like that. We need it. So thank you for mm-hmm. having me, and thank you for everything that you do. Alhamdulillah. Thank you again for tuning in to another fabulous Thursday interview on the Radiant Brilliant Show with your host, Kimberly Kalima. If you know someone or if you would like to be a guest, please send an email to guestinfotrbs at gmail.com, guestinfotrbs at gmail.com. If you'd like to offer feedback or if you have a show idea, please send an email to the Radiant Brilliant Show at gmail.com, the Radiant Brilliant Show at gmail.com. All of our shows are archived for playback if you'd like to go check out past episodes. You can also find us on Google+, Facebook, an upcoming YouTube channel, and, of course, Blog Talk. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you on next Thursday.